I'm Jessica Metcalf and this is the dark side of dentistry, the shit no one talks about. I'm a life and business coach and a dentist to oncology patients. I teach high achievers, that's you, how to break through self-doubt, fear of failure and overworking so dentistry and your life doesn't have to suck. In this episode, Ali and I talk about the fear around complaints and being sued. Making mistakes always kept me up at night. I would ruminate about everything that could and maybe would go wrong. We can't predict what patients will do regardless if we made a mistake or not. I remember waking up one morning and I was fed up. I was fed up that I lived in fear all the time, worried about what I said, what I did, and how I practiced dentistry. I convinced myself that the only reason why I hadn't been sued was because I was nice. I constantly stewed in the worry about when a complaint was going to happen. One day, I remember sitting down with my chief of dentistry at the time and he had mentioned this months earlier to when I woke up fed up. He said, don't stress or worry about complaints. It's not a matter of if they happen, it's a matter of when. I was shocked when he said this because I didn't want it to happen. So I continued to live in that fear. I could show up as me day in and day out and yet, someone would eventually complain or sue me. So I had to get over this fear. And one way was to start talking about that fear. So that's what today's episode is all about, right from a lawyer himself. Here today, I have Ali Haji, who will be answering all my vulnerable questions about fear and the emotional distress around mistakes, complaints, and being sued. Let's explore. Welcome everyone back to the dark side of dentistry, the shit no one talks about. Today I have Ali from Good Law today, where we're really going to start to talk about some of the emotional distress that comes from potentially being sued or having a complaint or even the realm of dentistry that we don't really like to talk about and we kind of hide on a personal basis. So Ali, thank you so much for being here today. You're How welcome. are you? It's, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about the shit that no one talks about. It's, uh, yeah. it's exciting. It is. It is so exciting. So Ali, tell me a little bit about who you are. Um, okay. So I'm, uh, I'm currently a lawyer at uh, Glick Law and I practice um, in professional, dis- I practice professional discipline law, um, which means representing health professionals, especially like dentists. Um, I focus on health professionals because I used to be a pharmacist. I uh, graduated from the University of Toronto Faculty of Pharmacy in 2013. Um, then I went to law school at McGill University and also did an MBA in, from 2013 to 2017. Then I clerked at the Supreme Court of Canada and did a master's focusing on regulatory law at the University of Cambridge in the UK. Um, which I escaped right as COVID ended, and uh, now I'm working as a lawyer. So that's kind of full circle. But uh, yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Yeah. So just before we even hopped on and we started recording, one thing that I didn't know about you as well is you had applied to dental school and medical school as well. And I want to hear a little bit about why the switch from pharmacy into law. So why, why did that take place? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, back then, way back when, like we're talking like 2008 at this point, you could apply to pharmacy school after one year of university. And, uh, you know, 
and become a pharmacist at the age of like 20, 21 or 22 uh, with that degree. Um, so my parents being immigrant parents, as many of your uh, you know, listeners' parents likely are, uh, advocated for that career because it was a safe choice and it was a stable career. And their dream was always for me to be a doctor or a dentist. Uh, and they saw that as a great stepping stone to being a doctor or a dentist, as many do. Uh, pharmacy has changed now. Pharmacy now requires a full undergraduate degree in order to do it, so that in order to become a pharmacist. So that's no longer uh, as convenient for most as it was as it was back then. Um, but my goal entering pharmacy was always to become a doctor or a dentist. Um, and my parents have yet to forgive me for going to law school uh, instead of doing that. But uh, you know, at a certain point, you kind of sit down and you say. I wanted to follow my passion and my passion was law and my passion was seeing how things change. Um, I actually uh, did an internship at the Ontario College of Pharmacists, which is the analog of the Royal, uh, of the Royal College of Dental Surgeons of Ontario. Um, you're in BC, right? Mm. So, I mean, but the, you can understand the college system regardless. Um, so I worked at the Ontario College of Pharmacists and I, and I realized the kind of impact and um, the impact that the law can make on professionals and on professionals' lives, and kind of always being passionate about um, pharmacists' well-being and pharmacists' scope of practice, uh, that's kind of the direction I wanted my career to take. So that's why I applied to law school and eventually did go to law school. I think that is a great reason why, especially having been on the one side and then thinking, okay, I want to be able to make a change or help make that change occur and now you actually understand from the college perspective from the medicine from the science background of it about what's happening as well it's really interesting because um now when i mean when you sit across from a health professional you can understand like their what's going on in their mind where, where the complaint or where the disciplinary action that they're facing comes from and how they can react to it. I mean, being a, having been a healthcare professional, uh, I think healthcare professionals have a different mentality and a different psychology than kind of the general population. You kind of have to, you're socialized that way in school. Um, I mean, we used to do interprofessional collaboration kind of sessions at the University of Toronto, where you'd interact with other health professionals and that would be kind of professional socialization. And I think by virtue of those socialization sessions, um, you have a different mindset and I, it really helps uh, being a lawyer to uh, be able to empathize with your clients and kind of put yourself in their own shoes and relate to what they're going through. I love that word empathize because I think that at times from the healthcare professional, we almost feel like we're off on an island all by ourselves. And so when we have to reach out for help, whether it's through law through psychology, through medicine, whatever it is to even take care of ourselves or take care of what's happening in and around us, we almost feel as if we're, we need to figure it out on our own. And so when we don't know what's happening, that's where we can kind of tumble down being like, well, shit, I should have known this. This shouldn't have happened. And we start to beat ourselves up. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the emotional distress or that professional mindset that you see when a dentist reaches out to you because of what might be occurring during that time? 
I mean, I think we have to recognize first that dentistry itself is a very stressful profession. Um, my brother and my sister-in-law, as I mentioned kind of before we were talking, are both dentists um, and I can see how stressful their work is, not only physically stressful, kind of having to bend over all day, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate, uh, but also, also mentally stressful. I mean, there's this running gag on Seinfeld. Um, if anyone watches, I feel like I'm dating myself here, but there's this running gag on Seinfeld where Brian Cranston is a dentist and he says, uh, a dentist had the highest suicide rate of any profession, um, kind of an outrage to Jerry Seinfeld making fun of dentists. And I, I mean, it's a joke, but I, I think it's kind of, in every joke, there's like a shade of truth. We, we wrote an article in Oral Health, and I think that's the way you kind of contacted us. Um, and we kind of did, a, we, I read a few studies for, to write that article, and um, there's a study of 3,500 dentists that finds that 38% of them describe themselves as always or frequently being worried or anxious. 38% doesn't seem like a lot, but consider yourself, think, think about if you were always or frequently worried or anxious. I, I think that kind of, that's traumatizing, that's very, that's significant, that's hard to deal with. Uh, and so to go to your, to, to, I mean, to answer your question, when you add legal troubles or re legal problems into the mix, um, I, I think that makes a bad situation worse. You're still running your practice, kind of, you kind of have to, to maintain your lifestyle, to, uh, main, to you know, keep your patients in good health. But at the same time, you're faced with these legal problems. And I think uh, that's when things become extraordinarily more, extraordinarily more stressful. Um, and when that happens, I think it's important to, uh, I mean, as we'll discuss, uh, seek out the right kind of supports. And I think that's key at that point. Mm. Is that something that you tell your clients when they come to you as well is, again, being out on that island, when we think of support systems, we don't know who we can actually reach out to because we don't know who we feel safe with or who we can be vulnerable with. Is that something that comes up when you are talking with your clients and they might be going through something like this? Yeah, I think one of the tragedies of healthcare is that, and I think this is borne out by COVID because I mean, a few there's a few studies that show that dentists, especially experience significant mental health problems due to COVID, but no one was really talking about them um, because health, healthcare professionals are taught to empathize with their patients, not with themselves or with their own profession. There's no kind of internal reflection in any healthcare profession uh, to show, you know, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, that whole kind of mentality of put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the people beside you is kind of lost. Um, so when I approach a when I approach a client, I almost said patient. But <laughs> when, I approach, when I approach a client, uh, I, I always kind of look at look for like signs of signs of kind of mental mental health problems or other supports, and I always kind of suggest you know therapy or psych or psych psychiatry or um, you know even massage therapy or something more relaxing, meditation, wellness as kind of a supplement or a complement to the work that I do. And I think I think that's key. I think it's important to uh you know i can take care of your legal problems but i can't take care of the stress and kind of the overburning anxiety and i mean we can talk about this a little more later but uh dentists being dentists being type a people um people that are very high achieving people that are um you know want certainty want definition in their lives 
it's very hard to deal with an ambiguous situation that could like last a few months, like legal proceedings last. And, you know, there's a few, there's weeks that go on without any updates because we're waiting on the other side to come here, come back to us, or we're waiting on a hearing date or something like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's difficult in that, in that instance, especially for all healthcare providers, not just dentists. That's a great way to look at it and to even preface it going into it. So, cause we do, we, we want certainty. And when we, that's why we almost strive for perfection or we exhibit perfectionist tendencies is because if we're perfect, then things are certain and it gets rid of that uncertainty or the unknown because it's almost as if we have an intolerance to the uncertainty. So even if you get a complaint, you're getting sued, you're going through the motions, that's even a great starting point for dentists to recognize being like, hey, your client might not get back to you for a few weeks. So it's okay if you're not hearing news for a few weeks. This may take months. Yes, it's an added stressor that kind of sits in the background, but knowing that, especially if we're in dentistry, doing surgeries, doing restorations where our appointment times are 45 minutes from start to finish and we know we finish at the end of that 45 minutes now it's weeks months i don't know is it is does it ever get to a point where you can sit in a lawsuit potentially for years um if you get to an actual judicial review um the next stage after a healthcare kind a health profession kind of um matter uh, at the college level is called HPARB, the Health Professionals Appeal and Review Board. That can last at least a year. That, that's a relatively slow process. Okay. Now, it's funny, I'm going to go back to the Brian Cranston uh, stat because the 38% or the uh, highest suicide rate and then 38% are consistently worried or feel anxious all the time. And some of the statistics are out there and dentists are 2.5 times more likely to experience suicidal ideation than the general population. And so when someone lives in an anxious state for an extended period of time and all of a sudden they add on this stressor that may have to do something associated with law do you see dentists where they have to leave practicing for a bit or reduce the amount of hours that they're doing in order to accommodate this new stressor that has occurred i mean i've I've never seen that specifically but like with any healthcare professional i think it's important for dentists to change their lifestyle to accommodate their mental mental well-being at any given point whether that means changing your practice or shifting your practice uh, i think that's important uh, keeping in mind your financial obligations which is a whole other story um but uh, i mean i think it's important to know yourself and any good lawyer i mean if you talk to any of the lawyers at our firm if you talk to me personally if you had a matter uh, I think they would, I think we would be attuned to kind of giving you that kind of advice or at least making that suggestion that you should be taking care of your mental health at the same time that we're taking care of your legal problems because you're a person and, you know, uh, your legal problems are important, but you're more important than them. I absolutely love that. There's so much power in what you just said because we forget, yeah, we forget that not only we're out on an island, but you guys are taking care of us during that time. Yeah, that's what you pay us for. Yeah. <laughs> that's what insurance pays us for. I love it. I love it. Now, when we talk about that uncertainty component, because a lot of the stressors that can come up even before someone gets into that potential complaint, there's always the fear of the unknown, the fear of a mistake, the fear of a complication that happens. What would you say to a dentist who is 
starting to get scared in the way they choose to treatment plan or the way that they choose to practice because they've had a patient who listed a bad Google review and now it kind of sits in the background all the time. I would tell that dentist to, to review, this is silly, um, not silly, a bit pedantic, but I would tell that dentist to review the standards of practice on the uh, college website to make sure they're operating within those standards first. Second, I would tell that dentist to make sure they're operating to the fullest of their capacity. If they feel they're not operating to the fullest of their capacity, or if they're doing something that they feel is risky personally, then they probably shouldn't be doing that. That probably is not within their competence. If you feel something is inherently risky and you're putting, you feel like you might be putting someone at risk, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. And that's just kind of a recipe for disaster. And third, um, I would review kind of the best practices in the area, whatever the best practices might be, and make sure you're conforming to those best practices. So I think those three things, reviewing your college guidelines and your college standards. Um, second, making sure that you're not uncomfortable with what you're doing and you're, you don't feel that there's any risk in what you're doing. And third, reviewing kind of scientific, science-based best practices. I think if you follow those three things, you, you're pretty much kind of putting yourself on a good footing to make sure you're not um, subject to any kind of severe action. Um, now, any lawyer, any dentists, or any health professional, rather, can get a complaint um, on anything uh, on with regard to any matter. You had mentioned something about risk and taking risk as a dentist. Now, as a new dentist, or even if you're a seasoned dentist, and let's say you're taking CE course to further expand your scope of practice, how does a dentist get over that initial okay, well, I'm new to doing this. I know I'm still, like, it's a risk that I have to take. I've let the patient know, but how do they start to build that confidence so they don't limit their scope of practice right from the get-go or refuse to then take CE because now they're scared that something could happen? So, I, I mean, I can't give legal advice on this, obviously. So mm -hmm. whatever I say is not legal advice. From a clinician point of view and a health, former healthcare professional point of view, I would say ease yourself into it care slowly. Make Again, review the science-based evidence, review the college guidelines. And most importantly, I think in this context, find a good mentor that can help you do that. When I, uh, when I was in pharmacy, I was doing, we wanted to kind of expand our, uh, the scope of our practice a little bit at uh, a pharmacy I was working at, so offer new services. It was it was kind of, um, it was a pet project of mine to expand pharmacy services to kind of low-income populations um, and uh, marginalized youth uh, at a project in uh, Toronto called Covenant House. And uh, so what we wanted to do is kind of go to this kind of youth shelter and provide pharmacy services to them. So like make sure they're not kind of taking drugs that might interact, making sure they have proper medical histories, you know, um, doing preventative things that would help improve their health. And that kind of goes, a, that kind of stretches uh, what a pharmacist would normally do. A pharmacist normally wouldn't go in and do these kind of things, even though it's within the scope of our practice. And I had a great mentor that kind of advised me on how to approach this, how this would be compliant with the regular, with the scope of practice of a pharmacist. and. Com that combined with reviewing college guidelines kind of made us do that in the best way possible and establish best practices around that. And uh, I'm not sure if they're still doing that project at that pharmacy that I worked at, but for the few months that we actually did do it, 
it really did have an impact on those people that we uh, helped. So, I mean, doing things like that, and I, I just think having a mentor is so important when you're doing projects like that, that are a little bit novel and a little bit innovative. That's a great example of it, where you're not necessarily jumping into the deep end right off the bat. You're starting in your shallow end, you're slowly walking out, you're adding your mentors, you're adding your different skill sets in. So then you know the risk that you are taking. Now, obviously from me as a clinician, there are gonna be complications and risks that can occur, right? They exist a part of, regardless of the procedures that we do, it's just what we choose to feel comfortable with comfortable with and how we start to build that scope. One of the comments that you had mentioned earlier was about every complaint, whether it's trivial or not trivial, has to go through and get explored. How does a dentist really kind of sit in and figure out if it is trivial? Because again, going back to that perfectionist mindset, any complaint that exists, anything that potentially goes wrong or is a complication, we can stumble into that worst case scenario or that catastrophizing mindset. So how does an individual or what would you say for someone to reflect and look at the complaint, how can they acknowledge it and say, okay, it's funny that you asked that question because my brother, who I said was a dentist, yeah. also asked that question after watching that video. That's like that often thing. Okay. And he was like, oh my God, I'm going to get a complaint at some point and they're going to write to me and what am I going to do? How do I figure out if I need to respond or, or if uh, I should, you know, hire a lawyer or something? Or how do I figure out if it's like an important complaint? I'm like, you don't. You call me and I will figure it out for you and I will respond. So even if a complaint is very trivial, it's really important to respond in the right way to prevent any kind of further action from being, you know, from taking place. Um, because, I mean, any situation can spiral out of control. Even a minor complaint can become a really severe issue if you don't respond to it properly. Dentists are excellent, at, from my own experience with dentists, not talking about dentists generally, but my family who has a bunch of dentists in it, the dentists are great at dealing with teeth and dealing with oral health and telling me I have like, you know, a capsized molar or my teeth are a little bit crooked and I need orthodontics. You guys are great at that. But, you know, let us handle the complaints. Let us kind of, if you get a complaint, contact the lawyer, let the lawyer handle, deal with the response, respond to it appropriately. And, uh, you know, let, let the lawyer manage it for you. Don't try to take things in your own hands, regardless of how trivial a complaint might seem. Yeah, I already feel at peace knowing that that's the next step where it's just, okay, this comes in. Now it's like, who do I need to put in place? to respond accordingly, because I know I'm not gonna say the right thing. I know I'm not gonna know what to say, right? And so now it's okay, reaching out to, asking for help, being vulnerable, even though the complaints happen, it's happened, let's yeah. manage it. Instead of thinking that, oh shit, something's wrong with me. What did I do wrong? Cause there's that automatic where we wanna jump into fixing things. And then there's that negative self-talk being like, well, what did I do wrong and how can I prevent it next time? And sometimes because it can be so trivial, we can't necessarily prevent everything. It goes down to what we were talking about before with dentists being kind of type A personalities. And I can relate to that as you know, a former healthcare provider. You want to be proactive. You want to kind of stay on top of everything. You want control and control is very important. And you have control over your practices. You have control over your dental hygienist. You have control over your dental assistants. You have control over when someone gets an x-ray, you have control over when someone comes into your office. 
this is a process where you don't have control and i think you have to acknowledge that you have to acknowledge that like you know if your macbook shut down and your macbook died you go to a genius bar if you get a complaint from the college of from the college you don't try to deal with it yourself you call someone who can help you with that and i don't think there's a problem in being vulnerable and showing a little bit of humility and a little bit of kind of you know self reflection and saying maybe i'm not the best person to deal with this maybe someone else can take care of this for me i deal with this constantly with my brother where he's like no i can totally handle this on my own not that he gets complaints but uh, you know um right. just but, in general just in general just in general where it's like you know i can totally write a contract myself right and it's like you know but and but, uh, and i will say this and you know as a caution to all the dentists out there there is more to responding to a complaint than just explaining what happens more goes into it and the second you realize that i think is the second you realize that maybe i should be working with a trained professional in order to deal with this and you know make sure this doesn't escalate further or this issue um of um a molehill doesn't become a mountain okay that is so important and again it goes back to <laughs> that control component we like to have control over our environment our procedures our day-to-day -day schedule and that sort of thing and this is an area where we have to pass that control over to someone who knows what to do next so similar to yourself but when we take a look and this is a lot of what i coach on with my clients is is that you still control how you choose to show up in that moment as well you still control how you can react to the situation and what we talked about is now okay how do you change that lifestyle how do you create that internal reflection how do you show up asking for help knowing that this is going to be the best thing possible for this moment in time i absolutely i absolutely love everything that you've been sharing because it is so important to Thank have you. these open conversations about well what happens if this happens now for the individuals who feel like they're really really stuck in that mindset of always catastrophizing and taking that anxiousness home with them thinking that the shoe is just going to drop and what is that shoe going to look like do you have any words of advice for those individuals my whole life is kind of just waiting for the whole next shoe to drop um and i can tell you in uh it hasn't dropped yet um it, you know uh, that that i mean i'm i'm being facetious just a little bit but um i th i think the most important thing to recognize and acknowledge is that as long as you have the appropriate safeguards well two things one is as long as you have the appropriate safeguards in place as long as you take care as long as you do as long as you make, make ensure your practice is protected you protect your practice by reviewing guidelines reviewing college kind of guidance making sure you're up to date with the best science uh, making sure you're not doing something you feel uncomfortable with making sure you operate within your competency that i think if that's the first thing as long as you do that you're you're make you're ensuring the right safeguards to ensure that that shoe doesn't drop i think the second thing is approaching when the shoe starts to drop when you feel like there's an inclination I think that it's important to enlist the right kind of help. So like we've been talking about, call a lawyer, maybe call a psychiatrist if you feel mental health mental issues. Seek out therapy, um seek out the right supports, contact family. Don't 
be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to like let down the guard, let down the guard and you know, take some of that oxygen for yourself before you give it to someone else. And the third thing, and I think this is a little bit, this is important going forward, uh, if I can add a third thing, is learn from it. Every com even, even though a complaint might seem trivial, it does originate somewhere. So maybe you were a little brusque with a patient. Maybe um, you uh, showed some bad bedside manner because you were having a bad day. Every complaint is rooted in something, even if it's trivial. So we might be able to get rid of a complaint fairly easily, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't learn from it and you shouldn't kind of appreciate where it stemmed from and improve yourself and your practice going forward. And that'll prevent for future kind of things from happening. So if a patient's complaining that you're rude to them, we can easily get rid of that. I mean, we can easily write a response and kind of, I shouldn't say easily, we can, um, we can manage that, we can deal with that for you. Um, but you should improve yourself going forward. And I think that's important. Dentistry is not the perfection of dentistry. It's the practice of dentistry. So this is one thing, right? So we evolve as humans and we may have those bad days and we're going to have those good days as well. And as long as we recognize that we continually grow and change and evolve both as a dentist and a human being, then it starts to build some of that self-compassion. So we're not beating ourselves up all the time. Ali, this has been absolutely wonderful. I feel like I could just keep on going and picking your brain. Is there any other words of wisdom that you would like to share with people uh, before we end today's session? No, just that, you know, I, um, I am deeply in awe of the amount of training and the kind of the work you guys, you, you as dentists do. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. I, I know I couldn't do it. I don't have the manual dexterity and the skills and the kind of stomach to even go in and like you know deal, deal with someone's mouth or drill or something and I often wonder how my brother does so at the risk of conceding to him that what he does is impressive um I mean I, I have deep respect for what you guys do and we're always here to help you at Click Law and or any other lawyers for that matter we're always here to help you if you guys need if you something does happen and uh, I, I think the key message is that you guys should you as dentists or any other healthcare providers shouldn't be afraid to defer to lawyers or work with lawyers um if something does come up we're all on the same team. You guys are really here to support us. And exactly. I think that that is a huge takeaway. So I'm going to leave this with you are never out on your own on an island or out on a branch on your own. There are always people who are going to be able to help and support you. And now it's just finding who those people are. Ali, thank you again. All of your information and contact information for Glick Law will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me and uh, enjoy talking about shit in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I definitely walked away from this calmer. Not only do dentists fear the complaint, but then we also fear the cost that could come from it. But here's the thing. Hiring a lawyer brings a sense of ease. Hiring a specialist to take care of you is extremely important. As dentists, we forget that taking care of ourselves includes eating well, sleeping well, but also hiring lawyers who understand what we don't understand. It brings a sense of relief and calm. This then helps reduce worry. For example, you send a patient to a specialist because they specialize in what needs to be done, say a root canal. The same holds true for taking care of yourself 
when it comes to hiring a coach or hiring a lawyer. As dentists, we know a lot about dentistry and that's great, but we may not know a lot about business or finance or mental health and that's okay. So just as you sent that patient to see the specialist, we're gonna be doing that for other things in our life as well. The first step in reducing fear is recognizing when and if that concern arises. There are people around you who can help. So with that said, if you're looking for more support around self-doubt, fear failure, and burnout, I may have something of interest. I, Jessica Metcalf, coach dentists on just that. So it's time for you to step into the life you've always dreamed of without the constant fear. Because isn't that why you chose dentistry? Because of the autonomy and the ability to choose your schedule and do dentistry the way you want to practice? You may be thinking, I know something needs to change, but I just don't know what that change is. Well, that's where I come in. Let's break down your personal and professional goals and let's get you stepping into your confidence. It's time to start owning your life. You got this. I'm Jessica Metcalf and this is the dark side of dentistry, the shit no one talks about. Stay awesome.